feel honored and blessed to be able to speak with you this morning about the message that God has laid on my heart. Seth and Katie are away this weekend for a much-needed getaway, and we pray for them, and I'm just thankful that um, to serve with them. They're wonderful pastors and good friends, and I'm just really blessed to be a part of this family that we are. We're a family. So let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, thank you that you are here. We feel your presence. We know that you are here, and we thank you that you are so, so good to us. And I just pray, again, for your peace that passes all understanding. I pray that it would just fill this place, that you would just take this message that you have laid on my heart, and I pray that you would illuminate it, and so that the ears here can hear it, and the hearts can receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, well, if you've been here and this is your first time, um, we have been going through the book of Joshua. And we are on chapter 6, so I get to talk to you from chapter 6, and I'm glad I'm just not doing chapter 5, that that was on dead. So, thank you, Jesus. No. Uh, we've been going through Joshua, and we have, the Israelites have been, you've, if you've been following along, coming here on Sunday, or through Facebook Live or podcast. We have a whole new generation of Israelites that are now here. They have crossed the Jordan. They have, they're ready to take the promise and claim hold of the promise that God had given them. Forty years earlier, God was going to give this land to their parents. But their parents were afraid, and they refused to trust God to give them the land. In fact, they actually whined and complained, angry at God for delivering them out of slavery and bringing them to this place of promise. So God said, okay, you're staying, you're not going in, and he let them wander for 40 years. And they have passed on, and now here are their children. And their children are here, and they're ready to take hold of the promise. I can imagine that they probably learned from their parents' mistakes. They're going to say, I am not going to complain. I don't want to wander any longer. So they chose to believe. This generation of Israelites have personally witnessed the hand of God in, in his provision, in his protection, in his guidance throughout the last 40 years. They have now crossed the Jordan, as we've known, through a miraculous event. They have set up memorials as a testimony of God's power. They have consecrated themselves before God, and they have celebrated his goodness through the Passover. And now the time has come. They are ready to take the land for God to fulfill his promise. This promise was established 470 years earlier when God promised Abraham that he would give this land to his descendants. And it's about to come to fruition. Can you imagine the excitement, the emotions, the mixed feelings that are going through the camp? I'm sure they were excited, but a little nervous. This nation of wanderers are now becoming a conquering nation. Previous to crossing the Jordan River under the leadership of Moses, God helped them conquer kings and regions to get to this point. And their fame and their success has gone before them. And the kings and, the king, kings and countries of the west side of the Jordan are afraid. And these Israelites are gaining confidence. And now they have arrived at the intimidating fortress of Jericho. Let's talk a little bit about Jericho. Jericho is one of the earliest settlements in the world. Archaeologists have actually uncovered the ruins of Jericho. I have a picture here. Eventually it'll come up. There are, that is Jericho right there of what it looks today. According to biblical archaeology, the city of Jericho was surrounded by a great earthen embankment with a stone retaining wall at its base. Kind of got a picture here for you to see. 
This retaining wall was some 12 to 15 feet high, and on top of that was a lower city wall, which was about 6 feet thick and about 20 to 25 feet high. At the top of this embankment was a similar upper city wall whose base was roughly 46 feet above ground level. So that is what the Israelites had before them. This was what was looming before them. So humanly speaking, it was impossible for the Israelites to get through Jericho. Within the upper wall, the area was approximately nine acres. So based on what archaeologists guess, there was probably several thousand people living inside the city at this time because they assume that the word has gotten out because they know Israel is coming to attack. And so all of the surrounding villages have come in and they have come into the city of Jericho and they are coming there for protection and they are all shut up in the city. The citizens of Jericho were well prepared for a siege. An abundant spring which provided water to Jericho lay inside the city walls and at the time of the attack, the harvest had just been taken in, so the, abund- so the citizens had an abundant supply of food. And this was also confirmed by the excavations when they found large jars full of grain found in the um, Canaanite homes, which is pretty cool. If you like history, I think it's pretty cool. I think this is cool, too, because this confirms that the Bible is true. It's credible, Right? With a plentiful food supply and ample water, the inhabitants of Jericho could have held out for perhaps several years. Okay, so we kind of get an idea of what Jericho is and, and what they're up against. But why Jericho? Why did God want them to destroy Jericho rather than just take it or go around it? Well, first of all, Jericho was legendary for its evil ways. God needed Israel to destroy them so that they would not influence them or they by their evil customs so they would not be tempted to follow jericho's ways second of all jericho was the oldest walled city in the world their fortifications were renowned they represented strength to the surrounding nations we also know from the spies reports that some of them were giants so you have a people here who are very arrogant they are a polytheistic religion they have served many gods and they just view israel's god as one of many And God wanted them to see that he is the one true God. That's always been God's intention, that all nations would see him and come to him as the one true God. From a military standpoint, this was a vital strategic target to take. However, God didn't want them to take over the fortress. He wanted them to destroy it completely. But most importantly, God asked the Israelites to destroy Jericho to test their faith. He wanted to see if they would trust him and his plan for their lives. So how are they going to do this? Let's turn to Joshua chapter 6 if you have your Bibles. If not, it's going to be up here on the screen. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So how was God going to give them Jericho? Was it going to be through military techniques and human intelligence and means? Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell, 
after the people had marched around them for seven days. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It was the Israelites' faith in God that the walls came down. God used the means to accomplish the end. He could have destroyed the walls instantly, but God is not in a hurry. Instead, he waited seven days and used this opportunity to build faith in the Israelites and to teach them to trust and obey. So we know now that faith is what brought the walls down. Let's take a look and see how this faith was demonstrated. First of all, I believe that they trusted. They trusted in the word of the Lord. Joshua 6.2 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. God had already conquered. He had already given them the miracle. He was just reminding them of his promise. God established this miracle earlier in Deuteronomy. Moses had brought the Israelites to the east side of the Jordan River. He had been, they had been wandering for 40 years, and now they are camped. And God is saying, okay, it's time. It's time for you to go across the river. It's time for you to take over this land. And he's, at this point, he reestablishes his covenant with his people. They go over the Ten Commandments. He goes over all of the things that he wants them to do. He tells them, if you follow me and if you obey me, I will give you all of this. And he establishes it. In Deuteronomy 7, 23 and 24, it says, But the Lord your God will hand them over to you. He will throw them into complete confusion until they are destroyed. He will put their kings in your power, and you will erase their names from the face of the earth. No one will be able to stand up against you, and you will destroy them all. So they remembered the promises that God had given them. Their faith was in the word of the Lord. Do you notice how the Lord uses the word see? He wants Joshua to already envision the miracle, to believe that the victory had already been won. He wanted Joshua to see with eyes of faith. Instead of just looking at the obstacle in front of him, these towering walls, he wanted him to look beyond, to look at the promise already attained. We, too, are encouraged to look at eyes of faith at the obstacles in our way. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says, For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen. In our times of faith, when it is being challenged by the fortresses in front of us, we need to put our hope in the word of God, and we need to keep our eyes on what has already been attained for us. Psalms 119.43 says, Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. And in verse 49, it says, Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. They trusted in God's plan, and they put their hope in his word. They knew he could be trusted because of his faithfulness. They had already seen it. He had already proved himself this far, and why would he change now? God always keeps his promises, and we can trust him. 1 Samuel fifteen twenty nine says, And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. Second of all, they declared. 
They went before the enemy, declaring the presence of God. In verse 6, Joshua chapter 6, it says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. God's presence went before them in battle. They took up the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant represented God's presence. And then the trumpets declared that presence of God. If you go back into Numbers chapter 10, when Moses and the Israelites were in the wilderness, Moses actually, I mean, God actually, actually commanded Moses to make these trumpets. He said, go ahead and make these trumpets and use them as a way of calling the Israelites together for special meetings and purposes. He also used it to get their attention when they needed to um, break camp and move on and when it was time to stop and make, up camp, make camp. But he also told them in Numbers 10, 9, and 10 that when you arrive in your own land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm with the trumpets. Then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. Blow the trumpets in times of gladness, too, sounding them at your annual festivals and at the beginning of each month. And blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and peace offerings. The trumpets will remind the Lord your God of his covenant with you. I am the Lord your God. Blowing the trumpets reminded them that the presence of God was with them, that his presence went before them. This is something God commanded them to do when they entered the land and went to war against their enemies. Because he wanted them to know that the, he wanted the nations around them to know who was the true God. Blowing the trumpets was them announcing to the nations that their confidence was in the Lord, in the divine. They were declaring to the world, here is our God, and he is Lord over all the earth, and he is the victor. Isaiah 18.3 says, All you people of the world, you who live on the earth, when a banner is raised on the mountains, you will see it, and when a trumpet sounds, you will hear it. God's desire to call Israel as his own nation and to establish them was always so that they would glorify God. It was so that they would draw all nations to him. And so here God is calling them to announce to all the nations that he is the one true God. There is no one other beside him. He will bring the victory to Israel. This was their battle cry. No one was going to describe victory to themselves. This cry was going to give Yahweh the victory. Yahweh is the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush when Moses asked him, Who shall I say sent me? And he said, Tell them Yahweh, or I am, sent you. When God was telling Moses this, he was not only just confirming his existence to him, but he was also confirming his presence with him. This was God saying that I am your God. He was making it personal. He is saying that I am the God who is faithful. I am the God who always keeps his promises. I am the God who is here for you. I am your God. When we are facing challenges, when we are going through trials of faith, are we declaring the presence of God in our battles? Are we announcing to the enemy that our God is in control, that he will receive the glory? 
And do we remember we're not alone. We have God's presence with us wherever we go. Psalms 94 says, 94, 14 says, The Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his special possession. Remember the promise that God gave Joshua in chapter 1? He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Just as God was with Joshua, you can be certain that he is with you today. He will help you conquer the challenges you face. The Israelites still had to fight the battle. But God wanted, to, God wanted them to remember that his presence was with them. His presence went before them. We can be confident that we are not alone as we go through hard times. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit is living within us. And he is strengthening us. He is guiding us. And he is helping us. I'm going to share a personal story with you about how God's presence was made real to me in a very difficult time in my life. Not many of you may know, but I was married before to another person, another man. And this marriage was difficult. It was full of um, lies and deceit, and there was infidelity. And there was one day that sticks out to me in my mind because it was very, very real. And I had just gotten off the phone with a man. And he had re- continued to tell me that he, that his wife and my husband were having an affair. And so this news obviously is very devastating. And I remember getting off the phone and just thinking, I can't do this. I can't. It was so overwhelming. I remember the pain was so strong, and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And it literally brought me to my knees. And I just... I just thought, I can't do this again. I had two small little kids. I just didn't know how I was going to face the next day. And all of a sudden, God's presence, like nothing else before, just came into that room. And I felt his peace wash over me. I know some of you can, I can felt that. You know that his peace can, can come to us in those times when we need it the most. And I felt his arms just literally wrap around me. And I heard in my spirit, audibly, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And you know what? That held me in all the times of my life from then till now. It was hard. Life was difficult. There were challenging times where sometimes I didn't feel his presence, but I knew he was there. I knew it because of that promise, because of that promise that said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we can count on his presence going before us and he's always with us. Then they obeyed. They obeyed God's unique instructions. God gives some pretty far out instructions for them to come to have these walls come down. He said they were to march around the city once for six days, and on the seventh day, march seven times. So if you remember, I said Jericho was about nine to ten acres. So I did a little research to kind of see how how what this was like in a football field it's about 1.322 acres so marching around jericho would have been equivalent to walking around a football field seven times so with this in mind it was very plausible for the israelites to march around the city several times in one day but that doesn't mean it was easy because i'm sure this is not exactly what israel had in mind when they were thinking of taking over jericho this went way beyond any military tactic used in that day and walking Hadn't they already done enough walking already? 
I mean, they had been wandering the desert for 40 years walking. I'm sure they were ready to do something different, to take some action. And not only were they, God asked them to walk, but he told them to do something else. He said, stay silent and do not speak. Joshua 6.10 says, But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So for six days, Israel marched quietly around the walls of Jericho, not saying a word. They had to keep quiet until the seventh day and wait for Joshua's command to shout. I'm sure this was a humbling experience for them. I mean, they knew that Joshua, that Jericho was afraid. They knew that all these people were wondering, you know, kind of knew that they were coming and they were shut up in the city in fear. So here's their chance. Come on, let's take them. But instead, God said, wait quietly before the victory can come. I get this mental picture of a group of dusty, dirty Israelites getting up early every morning and marching in the hot sand. We don't know what the guards of Jericho were doing at this time. We can assume that they were probably on the top of the wall defending the city. But what were they thinking watching these strange people with their strange God marching day after day without a word? Just the blast of trumpets. I wonder, are they mocking them? Are they throwing jabs and spears? Maybe they are. I'm sure with each passing day and no action on the part of the Israelites, the people of Jericho are beginning to wonder, are they ever going to attack? And Israel stayed quiet. They did not fight back. Not yet. They didn't retaliate with words or defend their motives. They just stayed quiet and trusted. You see, God wanted to work in their hearts. This mighty nation needed to conquer their own spirit before they could conquer nations. Maybe the bigger miracle in this story is the fact that the Israelites actually obeyed God and stayed silent in the face of opposition. I mean, how many of us can agree that that is, not dif- that is difficult to do when people are coming against us with their words and their taunts? But the time to shout would come. The time for victory was just around the corner, but they had to learn to trust first. See, only those who can be silent first can shout to good purpose. There are times when God calls us to be silent so that our shout can be all the more effective, to suppress our emotions until the time is right, to be patient to trust God. It's so important that we take time to be still so that we can hear God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The shout would have all the momentum of the delay in it. Can you imagine the shout that came after waiting for seven days of being quiet? The triumph comes with our patient waiting and obedience to God. God was teaching Israel that in order for walls to come down, they needed to depend on his power and obey his plans and follow his directions. And isn't that true for us today? When we come against strongholds that defy the knowledge of God, we need to declare God's power and be obedient to his word. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking captive every, every, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Amen. 
So when we want to tear down the strongholds in our life, those lies that want to destroy our faith, we have to realize that it comes through submitting to God, to his plans for our lives, not our own. We submit to him, we trust him, and we take every cap thought, every thought captive, and we make it obedient to Christ. What are some of these strongholds? Maybe they're weaknesses in our character, something we're trying to conquer and overcome. Maybe it's a physical illness or a disease. Maybe it's spiritual indifference. We just feel dead inside. We can't, to God's awakening. Maybe it's financial burden. We feel buried alive by bills and we're just not making ends meet. Maybe it's difficulties at home, at work, in our personal life. Our relationships with those we love are falling apart. But we need to remember that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. And remember that God's ways are not our ways. The Israelites actively submitted. Their faith was manifested in an obedience of not knowing the full outcome. They didn't know how the walls were going to come down. They had to trust God in the moment, in the day-to-day, in the routine, in the unknown. It doesn't say exactly if the Israelites knew the full plan about the marching that on the seventh day that the that, that walls would come down. It only says Joshua knew that. And they just listened every day to what Joshua told them to do. We too have to march every day knowing very little about tomorrow. So even when God's timing and his instructions seem strange, let's not focus on the circumstances, but on his motives. We may not know what the next moment may bring, but we can feel the present with a simple faith in God. And then the promise was fulfilled. Sometimes the process may be long, but the results will be brought about in startling suddenness. Joshua 6.20 says, When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. I can imagine they did. That was one suppressed shout. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and they captured it. And just like that, the walls came tumbling down. The walls came down after they marched. The walls came down after they submitted to God's plans and not their own. The walls came down after they obeyed God and waited patiently. The walls came down after they shouted and declared God's victory. The walls came down as a result of their faith. God fulfilled his promise and the city was captured. And not by anything that man can can boast to, not by man's ability or strength, but a result of man's faith in a big God who is faithful. And this is the cool part. God didn't just keep his promise to the Israelites. He remembered his promise to Rahab. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And we see that Rahab was spared in Joshua 6.22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out, and all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. God can be trusted. He is faithful to keep his promises. If he says what he's going to do, he will do it. Here's an interesting fact. When the archaeologists unearthed the ruins of Jericho, They discovered that on the north side, a a short section of the wall did not fall as everywhere else. 
a portion of that brick was still standing eight feet tall. And it was even more cool is that they were houses built against the wall, thus confirming the story that Rahab was there and, and hid the spies. And this quite possibly could have been the house where Rahab hid the spies, showing that she was indeed spared. It's not that we need that because we know the Bible is true, but those stories like that are really good at bolstering our faith. God is faithful to keep his promises. Some of us right now are in that waiting period. We know that God is with us. We believe his promises. We are faithfully obeying his commands and trusting him for victory. But the reality of that miracle happening seems a little far off. Maybe your faith is getting a little weaker with each passing day. I know for Nathan and I, we're kind of in this waiting period with we have an older daughter And she's chosen to walk away from us, and she's chosen to walk away from God. And it's hard. It's like a death of a child almost, because you just don't know where she is. You don't know have any contact with her. And we're in that waiting period. But I know, because God gave a promise to Nathan. And he said, she will come back. And we hold on to that promise. And we're in that waiting period, and it's hard. And there's some days where we think, is it going to happen but we hold on to the promises in God's word. I'm sure that's how the Israelites felt on day four when they had to get up again and march again with no results. I imagine their faith was feeling a little bit more challenged that day. You know, on day one and day two, there's this excitement, this anticipation. Yes, God said he's going to give us the city. And they believed him, and I'm sure they marched with a pep in their step, you know, and were ready. But day three and four... I think it was probably a little bit more sluggish. This reality of this promise is starting to dim. Their faith is being challenged by the waiting, the mundane, the routine of marching every day with no results. But they didn't get up. They kept on marching. They got up on day five. They got up on day six. And they got up on day seven. They kept believing, and God delivered. I have a niece Lila. She's four. She'll be five in December. And she has a genetic seizure disorder. She had her first seizure at age one, and she's battled with this disease for almost four years. My family has spent many, many hours in prayer believing God for a miracle. We believe God can heal Lila. But sometimes our faith has been a little under trial because there are times when we just don't understand why. Why God? Why now? I mean, She's so long. Why does she have to suffer with this? My daughter, Anna, has wrestled with her faith because God has chosen to not heal Lila yet, and she's kind of opened up and shared that with my family. And my family has this uh, group me page, if you're familiar with group me. It's kind of where you can do group texts, and we share our prayer requests and just a lot of stuff on there. And my brother Lance wrote this letter to Lila, or I mean to Anna, in response to her doubt on our family's group me page, and I'm going to share it with you. Dear Anna, I hope you're all right with me writing this letter to you on group me. It's meant just for you, but sometimes our words can bring healing, especially for our family. Granddad Weed shared a post about your struggles with God and healing for Lila. I will be the first to say how much I have felt the same, especially for Lila. You see, I have a kindred spirit with her. I won't get into all the details because that's not important. But what is important is Lila is a beautiful gift from God. She is perfect. I wish you could see her more like I get to. She loves to laugh, play jokes. If you have a book, you better be prepared to read it to her. 
Balloons on her birthday are the best gift ever. You know her nickname is Lila Bug. I think it's because she likes to cuddle like a bug. She loves to wrestle with her sister and dance with her cousin Colton. You should also know how smart she is. She's always helping her mom with her medicine, and she can also say all those fancy prescription words. What I'm getting at is sometimes we look at one thing that needs to be fixed, and we overlook the other characteristics that God has made her so unique. Do I want her to be seizure-free, her parents to rest easy, to not have to take all those horrible medicines? You bet I do. So we will both continue to pray and never give up. But don't ever take your eyes off God and the girl he made in Lila. Because there is so much more that defines her. He knows what he's doing, and he has a plan for her life. One more thing you should know, she is the strongest weed in the family, but don't tell your Uncle Josh. (laughs) Lila is a beautiful child. She is fearfully and wonderfully made. And I believe with all my heart, God is going to use her life as a testimony of his power and his faithfulness. Lila loves music, and after she's had a seizure, she likes to listen to songs to help her, and because it, it takes a few days for her brain to heal and recuperate. And one of her favorite songs is "God is Good All the Time." But another one is called "Mercy" is called "We Win" by Mercy Me. And sometimes she asks to listen to this song four to five times a day. My brother has said that this has become their family's fight song. Here are the lyrics I want to share with you. I don't have to know you just to know you have been lied to at some point or place. Well, I can relate. And you're wondering if it's worth it. Heartbroken, feeling worthless. Oh, the hurt is too great. Like a punch in the face. But don't forget, we've got something else in common. Bigger than all our pain and all our problems. This goes out to anyone down for the count. It's not over. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Just remember who you belong to. Let let me remind you how this ends. We win. Whoa, we win. We get pushed down. We get beat up. So our great lives going to keep us against the ropes. But hang on. There's hope. Because if Christ is inside us, it won't be a fair fight. Because deep down we know how the story goes. Hey, no stopping us. He's not done with us. We are more, more than conquerors. Hey, no stopping us. He's not done with us. We are more than conquerors. Let Just remember who you belong to. Let me remind you how this ends. We win. Whoa, we win. We win. Whoa, we win. Amen. We win. Amen. You see, Joshua and the Israelites marched around that city for seven days because they knew they would win. Their faith was in the promise of God's victory, and that's what kept them going. And us believers today, we know that in Christ, we win. Christ has already won the battle. We know how our story ends. We know what awaits us at the end. Jesus has promised that he will come again, and he will make all things new. And we hold on to this truth. It's what gets us through. Revelation 21, 3 through 5 says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. That is what we hold on to. 
That is our hope. That is our promise. It is by faith we overcome. It is by faith that we hope for Jesus' return. And it is by faith that we hold on to the promises in God's word. Because we win. Right? Amen. Maybe you're here today and you're just needing to be reminded of the outcome. Maybe your faith is being challenged right now and you just need to hope in the word of the Lord. And to remember his presence, it goes before you. Somebody told me the other day that everybody leaves, Mom. Everybody leaves. But God never leaves. He never leaves. He is there. And when everybody else fails you and when everybody else leaves you, God is there. Just trust him and submit. Follow his plans. Be still before him and know that he is for you and he is not against you. I just want to encourage you today to hold up, to hold on, to look up and see that God is there. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you for the promises in your word and that they are true. God, you are so real. God, if somebody here is just feeling like wondering if you even exist, I just pray that they would know that you are real, that you see them, that you hear them, that your presence is there. May they call out to you. And if somebody here does not know you, Lord, as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray right now, they would just recognize you as their Lord and they would call on you to be their Savior, to be their Deliverer. Lord, thank you that you have gone ahead, that you have won this battle, that we're never alone, and that we can hold on to the hope and to the promise of your return And that you're going to make all things new, Jesus. All things new. But in the meantime, as we're sitting here and we're waiting for that promise, may we find strength through the power of your Holy Spirit. May we just find comfort in your words and in your presence. Let us never give up. Let us keep on. We love you, Jesus. You are so, so good to us. So good. And we just want to praise you and we want to worship you and we want to give you all the glory and the honor because you deserve it. You are King of kings and Lord of lords and you are awesome and you are amazing and we worship you and we go forth this day and this week in the power of the Holy Spirit. We declare your promises and we declare your presence in our lives. We love you, Jesus. You are awesome and you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen.